0: Been, I've been intrigued over the last month or so um, to hear the emerging story, mostly off of social media, of the conversion of Kanye West. I don't know if you've been seeing this or hearing things. Now, for my generation and above, Kanye West would be a rapper, a uh, music producer. Um, um, he also designs a fashion designer uh, may help you place him a little bit more if you would know he's married to Kim Kardashian maybe not okay so some of what we know about Kanye West comes from keeping up with the Kardashians. Um, but if you just think about a year or so ago, Kanye West, and just to bring up his name, and if you brought it up from a Christian perspective, you would say, well, Kanye West, um, the lifestyle, everything that we know, and it appears, is, is living a life um, that we, would, we might call, we might call secular, uh, worldly, um, well. Some of it, not that I've ever heard any of his music <clears throat> until recently, and that was the Christian music. My kids k- keep me up with culture, y'all understand, so I've done some uh, interviewing this week. Uh, but everything from longer than a year ago, uh, some of it would even be, we would consider sacrilegious if not blasphemous. Um everything from more than a year ago if you just said Kanye West you would say this is a man who is heading not towards Christ but away from Christ that was the direction of his life but we begin to get these little signals of um, a change in his life and uh, even a year ago uh, in January of this year almost a year ago uh, Kanye West has this kind of pop-up what he called Sunday service and he's had more of them and it was a worship service and Kanye did some of the the music and there was a, a choir not like a choir but I don't have time yeah you have to watch the videos Um. A preacher and everything we know the gospel was presented and people came to faith in Jesus Christ I'm I'm talking about legit preachers not yeah Uh, men that are are known in the Christian community Um, as these started happening he um, he did an interview and this is what he said and some of what he said in the interview Uh, When he was asked about, okay, so what's going on with Kanye? He said, I've spread a lot of things. There was a time I was letting you know what high fashion has done for me. Uh, I was letting you know what Hennessy Cognac had done for me. All these things. But now I'm letting you know what Jesus has done for me. that that was that was Kanye West quotes earlier about a month ago he released a new album the title of that album is is Jesus is King and I know recently and you can you can look this up online but uh, he had one of these pop-up Sunday services on a Friday night in Baton Rouge Louisiana so that's not really that far from us but. And so the story is still emerging. We don't know everything, and not that we have to know everything, but what you have is a very high-profile person who, according to us as a Christian community, everything we have seen in his life before a year ago, he is heading away from Christ, and he has made a turn in his life, and there are indications that he is walking in that, and the platform that he's been given, he's, he's using that now for Christ. Now, we'll have to continue to see him, him walk. One of the interesting things is Kanye West has caught it from both extremes with skepticism. The Christian community has been skeptical. Uh, the world where he came from has been skeptical of what this is. That's kind of interesting. He's kind of catching it uh, from both sides. Uh, you know, conversion is simply a turning of our life from the life we've been living, which is away from Christ, and turning our lives to Christ, not only for salvation, but be able to walk in that. And so that conversion is a turn of our life that um, creates a new status with God, but also is to create A new walk in life. We're walking a different direction because we've changed 180. The only other conversion that I can think of that was that dramatic of a high profile individual was 2,000 years ago in the life of Saul of Tarsus. A man that, and his life is different from Kanye West. He would have said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to live for God as a good Jew. He was a very religious man, but, but he discovered that he was walking away from Christ. And as I read at Evan's baptism, on the road to Damascus, he meets Christ, and through Ananias, the witness in Damascus, he turns 180, and he begins to walk towards Christ. And the life that he had lived against Christ Just as passionately, Paul lives for Christ, turning from being a Pharisee and a persecutor of the church to being an apostle, preacher, church starter, and theologian. Um, If anyone knew of what that turn of life and conversion looked like and meant, it was Paul and when we come to the New Testament and we look at his 13 letters that he writes to either churches or individuals we see that one of the major themes is about conversion salvation whatever you want to call it Uh, this 180 turn of life that turns from a life against Christ to a life For and with Christ um, it's a point in life that all of us have to come to everyone in this room has either made that decision or today will have to make a decision concerning that what will I do with Jesus and uh, what is the life that I'm living and what is the direction and it's Christ calling me to make a change in that direction and not only a turn of life that changes our status with God but then lives it out by walking that as we walk towards Christ some in this room this morning the call of the gospel is for you to make that decision to say yes I will turn whether my life is worldly or religious it is my life, and I will turn, choose to turn my life to Christ and to walk in that. Um, 2019, we've looked at the Bible, <clears throat> and here's kind of the interesting thing for this morning. I, I, always, I know I feel like every Sunday I'm saying, now this is the most important message of the whole series. And I know I've lost all credibility. i must say it again today this is it we finally get to the point brother Barry Uh, because what have I said if I had to use one word to say what the whole book is about it is the story of redemption and when we come to this morning in the writings of Paul we have the clearest articulation of what redemption conversion salvation Is. Our theology about what it means to be saved, justified, all of those words comes primarily from the Apostle Paul and out of his 13 books. He is the one that, that teaches it with clarity like no one else in the New Testament. And so there's been this theme, this story of redemption that's almost been flowing under the surface. And we've been seeing since. Genesis 3 that that man was broken and needed a savior and God's been working in this story of redemption all of those pages and All of a sudden you have this dramatic high-profile conversion of the the persecutor of the church to become the premier missionary and apostle of the church and when he writes it down Paul's words form our theology with a clarity that no one else expresses of what it means to be converted, to be saved. Now, some of you would say, well, Brother Darrell, I was saved years ago, and so was I. And the reason we talk about the one big story is so that we understand that our little story is to fit into God's big story. And many times, here's the danger, here's the danger whether you are Kanye West or Saul before his conversion, or you're a Christian today, listen to me, it is possible that you live out not the big story, but you day by day and hour by hour, you are simply living out your little story, whatever that is. Let me tell you, your story only has eternal significance really any significance when it lines up with God's big story I I don't know that's that's maybe a lot to wrap your brains around around Um, oh I hate to read to you but I'm about to read to you they told me in preaching class don't ever read to them they're they're. listen I need you to think if you I was about to say something it's not appropriate okay let me just read uh, this is from a book, but it, it quotes John Eldridge's book, and this is a, a, something he says in The Sacred Romance. And it's about the little our, our small stories and God's big story. So if you can focus for two minutes, listen to this. This is what Eldridge writes. In the postmodern era, all we have left is our small stories. Our role models are movie stars. The biggest taste of transcendence is the opening of ski season. He lives in Colorado. The only reminder we have of a story beyond our own is the evening news. An arbitrary collection of scenes and images without any bigger picture in which they fit. The central belief of our times is that there is no story. Nothing hangs together. We all have bits and pieces, the random days of our lives. Tragedy still brings us to tears, and heroism still lifts our hearts, but there is no context to any of it. And then he says, our heart is made to live in a larger story. Having lost that, we do the best we can by developing our own smaller dramas. Looking at the things people get caught up in, sports, politics, soap operas, rock bands. Desperate for something larger to give our lives transcendence, we try to lose ourselves in the smallest kind of stories. I know that may be a lot and I hate to ask you to think in church today but there's a reason for all these weeks we've talked about one big story because it's God's story and our little stories only make sense or elders would say are transcendent when we align our story with God's big story and I need you to think about that this morning Paul in his writings of his 13 books <clears throat> uses a word for salvation, redemption conversion I counted 97 times I actually went and I counted them 97 times he used a word that means what I've described as this 180 turn in life that turns from a life away from Christ to a life to Christ um you know, one of the things that strikes me is about this turn in life. It, it, let, me, let me tell you what the turn is about. It, it really is about living in God's big story. If, if you think about it, uh, Kanye West had a story. And we might say it's not a little story. He's, a, he's, a, he's in a big story. But there is something, and I don't know. But there was something that happened in Kanye West's life that he said, you know what, that story's not making any sense anymore. There's got to be something more than this. And I think, I don't know, we'll see, that his turn in life was to say, you know what, I'm going to walk away from my little story because there's a bigger story I need to leave, live for. And Paul did the same thing, same kind of drama. Dramatic conversion of saying, I, I think Saul of Tarsus was a big deal in his world. Kanye West was a big deal in his world. Paul was Saul was a big deal in his world. But what he discovered about Jesus Christ is there is something that is greater than this. And <laughs> this is what I realize, is that when Paul talks about that turn in life, in his letters, we, we, I don't know, we get this idea. It's like Paul was writing these letters to, to articulate theology for the church in the, the centuries to come. It's like, no, Paul wanted, you know what Paul was doing? He was telling us his story. When there's a reason Paul talks more about conversion than anyone else, is because his conversion was a big deal. Man, I mean, there's some people that turn 180, and there's other people that really turn 180. And it's like he talked about that in so many different ways. If, if there's one little section of scripture, it's in Ephesians two eight and nine. And if I just had to go, okay, what? I got too much this morning. I know that. Okay, we're gonna press on. <clears throat> Y'all don't believe me, but anyhow, that's fine. If you've been here for more than two weeks, you, you're not you're not believing me. You're not buying that. Ephesians two eighty nine. This is kind of just the summation of what Paul would talk about. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Hey, Nathan, can we just leave that, or Steve, just leave that up there. Uh, Several weeks ago, I spent a whole sermon on grace. It is the basis, the starting point of salvation. And so I'm not going to revisit that. Um, But this verse gives us the essence of what Paul's teaching was on conversion. The starting point is grace. And then he uses the term in, that, in the verb, have been saved. And I love that have been because it denotes, uh, particularly in the original language, that this is something that happened in the past and the results continue to today. It's not just that you were saved, it's that you have been saved, and that is a reality that still exists in your day as far out as you can push it into the future. But think about that word saved. It's a word that describes... Being in a perilous situation, being in danger, and then being rescued or delivered. And when Paul thought about his life, the most common word that he used, in fact, I think he uses it 45 times out of the 97, almost half of them, when he describes this turn, this conversion, he uses the word saved or salvation. And it speaks of being in a perilous, dangerous dangerous situation like you were drowning and being rescued or delivered. That's one of the word pictures that he uses. But the other thing that's significant, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And we're going to come back to that at the end. But there is a response to what Jesus has done. And that response is summarized captured in the one word faith, and we're going to kind of uh, speak to all that that means, but it is our response. There are other word pictures uh, Ah, let me just mention these. I don't think they're even on your sheet. Just in Ephesians, if if you think, oh, when he talks about salvation, he just uses that one word picture. No, that's not it. In, In Ephesians 1, 5, he talks about being adopted. In 1.7, he talks about being redeemed. In uh, 1.13, once again, he uses salvation. Uh, In uh, 2.5, he said we were made alive. That's another salvation conversion term. And then in chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, he talks about being reconciled, about peace being made with God. And one of the things that strikes me as I did this study this week is just coming up, and this is on your sheet. This is your reference sheet. The words that Paul uses for salvation, the most common of those is saved or salvation, 45 of the 97 times, and I quote the Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. The second most common, and I think it's 23 times he uses it, is justified or justification Romans 3 24 being justified freely by his grace eight times he uses reconciling God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses made alive is also used eight times even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ uh, he uses redeemed or redemption seven times in whom this is Colossians 1:14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he uses adoption, uh, I think, five times. If this is counting up to be more than 97, know that my numbers were off just a little bit. I'm not looking at my notes. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And then one time, in Titus 3, 5, he talks about being regenerated. He saved us through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of our, our Holy Spirit. And here's the thing that strikes me. There's, I think there's seven terms here that Paul uses to describe this conversion. Each one of them is a word picture. Saved says, I was in this perilous, dangerous situation and, and Jesus rescued or delivered me. Justified is, is a legal term. And it speaks of being in a courtroom and being guilty before the judge. I was guilty. And Jesus came in and he paid the penalty. And now I have been made. I have been justified. I have been declared innocent of the charges that were brought against me. Reconciling is a word that speaks of a a relational nature that I was at enmity. I was in rebellion. I was an enemy of God. And Jesus Christ, through His blood on the cross, He reconciled me. He put me back into peace with God the Father. I was I was alienated from Him. This next one's a really tough imagery. When He said I've, He's made us alive, what He meant was we were dead. Jesus made us alive. That's another word picture. Redeemed is is a word that means that comes from the slave market. And it means we were in bondage. And Jesus, the word is, is bought us. He redeemed us. He came and he paid our ransom is another word that is used there. You see, it's a different word picture. Adoption obviously means that there was a time in our life we were outside the family of God. And God said, no, I'm going to choose you to be my son, my daughter, I'm bringing you into the family. And regenerated means that we were, we were marred, we were broken in fact it's it's very similar to the word that jesus uses with nicodemus when he said you must be born again there must be a regeneration there must be a a bringing of new life that you were broken you were marred and jesus christ uh, gave you birth again he transformed you isn't that amazing and you ask the question why why does paul have to use seven terms to describe this turn of life, the conversion. And here's the point that hit me. Because one word does not capture the fullness of salvation. It's almost like Paul is just searching for words and for him to talk about being saved is so narrow He goes no, no, it wasn't just that I was saved. It was I was justified. I was reconciled I mean, I was guilty before the judge and Jesus Christ justified me. It was like I was at enmity I was alienated from God the Father and Jesus Christ brought me back into relationship with him It was as if I was dead and then I was made alive It was like I was I was sold in the bondage of my slavery my sin and Jesus came and paid the price by his death on the cross to redeem me for his own and it was like I was outside the family and he brought me in it was like my life had no life at all it was so broken and Jesus gave me new life he transformed me I experienced a new birth salvation cannot be captured by one word picture and so Paul just, he, he I don't even have time to prove that point. It's like in the midst of the same passage, he'll go from one term to another, and you go, wait a second, what's he talking about? Yeah, he's talking about that. That's why I tried at the start of the sermon just to talk about conversion, this 180 turn. He didn't even use that. But when he delineates with clarity what salvation is, our conversion is he uses all these terms here's the other thing that gets me the reason Paul uses all these terms is because he was all those things before Christ I would say that Paul does not write theoretically he is not writing a theological treatise in his 13 letters to individuals and churches no he speaks about conversion not so much theoretically As he does experientially when Paul uses those terms he goes no that was me that was what Jesus did for me I was the one in peril and Jesus saved me I was the one that even though I thought I was so righteous that I was guilty before a holy God and Jesus justified me I was the one that was alienated I was an enemy of God and he reconciled me Paul would say in Ephesians 2 I was dead spiritually dead and Jesus made me alive I was in bondage to sin and he redeemed me (laughs) I may have been a son of Abraham but I was outside the family of God and God chose me in that experience road to Damascus and brought me into his family to be a son and Jesus regenerated me he experienced new birth all of those words come out of Paul's own Experience of conversion. They are personal. They are experiential. One of the major truths that emerges from what Paul teaches is that it's only God who saves. In all of those words that I've used that you can look at on your sheet, the actor, the one who is doing the work of that verb, is always God. God saves. God justifies. God reconciles. God makes a life. God redeems. God adopts. God regenerates. If probably there's one thing I want you to grasp from this, we do not save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Only God saves. He is the one who is doing the saving. and I believe that's one of the things That Paul wanted to make clear to those that he spoke with. The connecting thoughts. And I did this this week. I just went through exhaustively those 97 times. And I said, what are the connecting thoughts? What are the things that Paul attaches? Three things. Grace. The basis of our salvation was that first, God loved us. There's other ways of saying it. he he will sometimes use grace he may use love mercy kindness patience it may be a different word but it speaks about the grace of god the other the second major truth that that emerges from these connecting thoughts it's always through the death of jesus there's no other way for any of these verbs to be fulfilled and he may say it that Jesus died for us. He shed his blood for us. He gave his life for us on the cross. But it's all the same point. And then here it is. Third thing. The response is always that we are called upon to believe or to have faith. And I, and I would say if, if there's one word and from Ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith faith I believe summarizes this response to God that is required God only saves when we respond yes Jesus died for all it's available to all but we must respond and the word that kind of is the most common word is the word for faith And actually, when you make faith a verb, it's it's the same word in the Greek, but in English we translate it to believe. But the other connecting words that kind of uh, Paul uses when he talks about this response, he may say that we are to repent, that we are to surrender, turn to, have faith, believe, or trust in Christ. This turn in life requires that we repent of our sins, that we surrender our wills, and that we trust our eternal eternal life in Christ. And I I want you to get this. When I am walking away from Christ, for me to make that 180, I have to repent of that way of life, a life that is lived on its own. That is the starting point. Of the turn that I confess I am remorseful uh, for the life that I have lived apart from Christ I repent of my sin it is uh, we have to think about if we turn to Christ we have to understand that we turn away from something repentance speaks of what we are turning away from it is a life that is a live lived apart from Christ. But there is something that happens also in that experience as we turn is that we surrender our will. We say my life is not my own. Now I believe all of this is is captured in the word faith, but I believe faith, this whole response of this 180 turn means that I repent of my sins and I surrender my will to say my life is not my own and then I turn. In belief faith or the word that I would use is trust and I would say Christ that life my eternal life I I surrender my attempt to be good for you to bring my righteousness to somehow be good enough to come to you and I give up all of that I surrender all of that and I trust in what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and i lay my heart, my soul, my life at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, only through you can I be saved. And so when Paul talks about faith and you see the connecting thoughts in all of these 97 verses about salvation, you understand that this 180 t- turn is, starts with a repentant, uh, repentance for sin and a surrender of of my will, and then trusting my life to Jesus Christ. And it's only then that I can experience what Christ has done for me. And if I bring it back to my first point, it's only then when my story can be a part of God's big story as long as I am living my life my life's never going to make any sense not of any significance I don't care whether you Kanye West or your Saul of Tarsus no Paul wanted to make it clear to his readers and all the churches and the places that he went what conversion salvation was it was a turn of life that changes our status with God that then we must live out because there is something bigger than my story and it's only as I turn away from my story and I turn to God's big story that my life can make any sense Um. two things this morning Uh, the challenge of the gospel today is if you've never turned your life to Christ I want to make it very clear what Paul would teach is you must be willing to turn away from your sin in repentance and surrender your will and to say confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord that it's only through his shed blood on the cross that I can be put back into the relationship with God like it was in the beginning Genesis 1 and 2 but for many of you you've made that decision and I tell you what's on my heart today and it really relates to us as a church and and the bigger picture and what God wants to do if we settle to live out our little stories even as Christians apart from God's big story we've come up short we've we've settled to live for those little things that's my story and God says it's only as we yes we turn but then we live out that turn by saying what how does my story fit in God's big story why does God have me here what is the eternal significance and purpose of why I walk this earth my challenge to you is for you as individuals and us as a church let's don't settle to ask God to give us strength to live out our little story no no if we do we miss it we miss the big story let's ask God how does my story fit into your story because it's not about me it's brother Barry it's not about me it's about him would you stand with me this morning Father?